You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. It's good to be with you as we start a new worship series today called God's Companions. Companion literally means to break bread with. Companions, to be God's companions. Often I've had questions about what Holy Communion is in the United Methodist Church. Uh, And uh, like, for example, uh, we have the Lord's table. It's not an altar. Uh, So it's a table, which I think the worship design team did a beautiful way of expressing that uh, today. It's not an altar, which is why I'm not a priest and I'm a pastor. right, so it's the Lord's table. But it's not just memorial. Sometimes we talk about the bread and the juice as just being bread and juice and, and we remember Jesus. But a memorial is something that you do for someone who's no longer alive. There's more to it. Though it's not transubstantiation, which means the essence of the bread and juice are changed to the body and the blood of Christ. It's not consubstantiation, as it is in the Lutheran church, where the body and the blood of Christ exist alongside the bread and the juice. It is bread and juice, though by the power of the Holy Spirit, we receive the real presence of Christ. Now, there's a lot to unpack, uh, which is why over the next several weeks we'll be walking through what it means to gather around the Lord's table. Because almost everything we need to know about God, humanity, and God and humanity happens around the Lord's table for Holy Communion. And there are six steps to gathering around the table. There is invitation, gathering, proclamation, responding, sharing, and then sending forth. And all of that happens when we gather around the Lord's table for Holy Communion. And it's a microcosm. It's a smaller picture of the larger picture of worship itself. So today, we begin with invitation and what that invitation is and to what God is inviting us into. Our scripture lesson today comes from Ephesians Chapter 1, verses 17 through 23. It'll be on the screens, it'll be online, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power? God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only of this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There's a lot of beauty that happens around the table fellowship, isn't there? Uh, just this week, connection began, and it was our first time breaking called God eating bread with one another in in quite a long time, and there was an energy, and there was a beauty of gathering on the table. Same thing happens uh, at our house. Uh, It's, it's, I, 
it's our favorite time uh, together as a family, gathering around the table, breaking bread with what uh, either I or Christy has made, which means there's also a hot dog in the mix somewhere. There's also like chips and shredded cheese because not everybody eats what we prepare. So it's kind of this smorgasbord of stuff. But it is our time to gather. It's our time to connect with one another. And it's, it's, it's beautiful for us to connect as a family around that table. And that is, that is part of our role together as a family of faith to gather and to connect around the table. You'll hear me say this uh, throughout this series. This series, God's Companions, is based on a book by Sam Wells calls, called God's Companions, God's Companions. And this is how he opens it up. He says, God has given his people everything they need to worship him, to be his friends, and to eat with him. He has done this by giving us the body of Christ in three forms. Jesus, the church, and the Eucharist, or Holy Communion. The problem is God is so abundant with divine gifts that we feel overwhelmed in receiving them. So we turn to our own understanding and our own resources, leaving us in a place of scarcity, fear, and isolation. And that's a story as old as time itself. When the man and the woman were in the garden, God gave them 99.99% of the entire garden to have for food. But then there was this one tree, there's this one tree of of the knowledge of good and evil, and God says, leave that tree alone Let me cultivate that tree. Set that tree aside. You don't have to worry about that tree. Let me prune it. Let me cultivate it. Let that tree be mine. You have 99% of the rest of it. And because we did not trust, and because we were lacking in imagination, because we did not believe, because we believed that 99% of the garden was not enough, we also went for that one tree and it damaged our walk with God and our walk eventually with each other. Over and over again, God gives us more than enough that we almost in some strange way seem repulsed by that. It's overwhelming. It's too much. We'd rather dictate things instead of relying on God's own abundance. Over and over again, Jesus in the Gospels, specifically the Gospel of John, offers too much, or offers too much, over and over again. I bring creation to mind because John also brings creation to mind at the beginning of his Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, it says, the next day, Jesus did this. And then the next day, Jesus did this. And then on the third day, Jesus went to a wedding in Cana of Galilee. John is trying to cultivate this sense of creation, this sense of everything being good, this sense of everything being abundant. Because Jesus, over and over again, offers too much. John chapter 2, John chapter 4, and John chapter 6. John chapter 2 is the wedding in Cana. And there's not a teenager on the planet who doesn't know this story because Jesus made 70 gallons of wine after everyone was already drunk, right? I know, Mom, you caught me with one bottle, but Jesus made 70 gallons of it, right? What happens in this story is that the wine is good, the wine begins to run dry, 
the wine is out, but then we are served the best of wines. This, in short, is the story of God's people. In the beginning, it was good. God looked at everything that God had made, and it was good. The wine was good, but then the wine began to run dry. We did not trust God. We wanted to trust ourselves, and we were expelled from the garden. And then the wine ran dry. God's people, the nation of Israel, was sent into exile, sent into Babylon. But then, in the person of Jesus, we get the best of wines, and we receive resurrection. We receive what it looks like to see Jesus is what it means to see God, right? So this happens in this wedding of Cana of Galilee. There's too much wine at the end of the story. And the disciples are left scratching their heads of, of what Jesus has done. Why? And the steward in the story says, why would you serve the best wine now? You're supposed to do it the other way. You, you, you start with the good stuff. And then when the senses have been dulled, you, you bring the franzia out, right? You know, you bring the box out. Hypothetically, I mean, but in this story, it's done in reverse. The, the wine is good. It begins to run out. Then it runs, it begins to run out. Then it does run out. But then the best of wine is at the end. This happens again in John chapter 4 when Jesus is speaking to a Samaritan woman at the well. Instead of wine, it is now about water. Her story also parallels the people of Israel. It started off good. And then it says she has five husbands. So the, the water begins to, to, to run dry. And, and, then, and then it says that the one she's living with now is not her husband. The water is no longer there. That life-giving, nourishing water. And this is not a status of, of, of marriage so much as Israel's relationship with God. Over and over again, this metaphor of husband and wife refer to God and the nation state of Israel. So five times there have been another groom and to this time, the one you're with is not really the groom. It runs out, the water is. But then Jesus says, I give you living water. If you have this water, you will never be thirsty again. It's the same story over and over again. And it's an abundant story. And it's so abundant that, again, the disciples are left scratching their heads. They're like, Jesus, why are you speaking with this woman? First of all, it's a woman at high noon in the center of town. People are going to talk. You're sitting around Jacob's well. Do you know what happens around Jacob's well? Betrothals happen around. You get married around Jacob's well. Jesus, what are you doing? Not only is it a woman, but it's a Samaritan woman, an outsider, an outcast. Jesus, what are you doing? The disciples are left scratching their head. They cannot fathom this overabundance of water, this living water that you may have and you will never go thirsty again. And then the greatest nonverbal cue in almost all the Bible, the woman leaves her jar at the well to go and tell the entire city about what just happened. She leaves the jar there because she doesn't need it anymore. She now has this living water. Beautiful story. This story happens again in John chapter 6. There's thousands of people. They're hungry. The bread is good. But then the bread begins to run dry because Jesus says, you feed them. You get busy. You sign up for disaster relief. You click the button. You get connected. You feed them. You serve them. And then the bread runs out because they say, we don't have anything. Well, I mean, we have this one kid who has bread and fish, but what is that for thousands of people? So then Jesus takes it, blesses it, breaks it, and they are left with 12 baskets left over of food. Again, there's an overabundance when Jesus 
gets involved. But often we can't handle this. Sin can be understood as either a lack of imagination or a belief that scarcity is true. Another way to say that uh, in terms of sin being a a lack of of scarcity, you could say that sin is ignorance, right? We mess up, we're not even aware that we're messing up, right? Or or willful, willful disobedience. Lack of imagination or believing that scarcity is true. Same thing. So when we come up against this overabundance of God, it's overwhelming. We're not quite sure what to do with it. We turn away. Our imagination can't handle it. Or we just say, this is not true. What I'm seeing is not true. And therefore, I don't believe it. So sin is either a lack of imagination or acceptance that scarcity is true. When we look at our text this morning, the author of, of, of Ephesians is trying to get us to understand. In, in, in Sunday school today, we were talking about resurrection and, and how the resurrection accounts are so wildly different because they were trying to explain something that is inexplicable. It's never happened before. How do you explain this? It, it's like talking about, um, oh, what was it? Uh, the sun. We were talking about the sun. This is great. Uh, it's, it's trying to explain to a fifth grader that it takes light about eight and a half minutes to get from the sun to the earth. So if, if the sun disappeared right now, we wouldn't know it for another eight and a half minutes. And trying to explain that to a fifth grader in science class. It's, how do you, what? How do you do that, right? So these gospel authors are talking about resurrection, but they don't quite have the words for it. When we, when we come up against resurrection, when we come up against this overabundance of God, we don't, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. And sometimes we turn away. This is what the author of Ephesians is trying to get at. Listen to the language. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation or, or imagination so that you might know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is that immeasurable greatness of his power, this overabundance of God's presence. And it starts with, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, gives you a spirit of wisdom to understand this, so that you might know what it is, abundance versus scarcity. And the way that we combat this is through worship, friendship, and breaking bread with one another through the body of Christ, which is Jesus, the church, and Holy Communion. And I'll say this more than once throughout the series, but we combat this with worship, friendship, and breaking bread through the body of Christ, which is Jesus, the church, and Holy Communion. So let's look at Jesus. Why do we worship Jesus? And I think Colossians says it well. It says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself 
all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of the cross. In other words, Jesus is what it means to see God, to recognize humanity, and to see God and humanity together. We worship Jesus because in Jesus is the fullness of God, where God is pleased to dwell, to reconcile all things through peace of the blood of the cross. Almost everything we need to know about flipping this script of of scarcity to abundance and not being overwhelmed with God's abundance is to dive into momentarily with Jesus' Gethsemane prayer. It's the prayer that Jesus says right before Jesus is arrested. There are two parts. The first part is, if Father, if it be possible, may this cup pass me by. And then the second, but not my will, but your will be done. Remember, sin is either a lack of imagination or believing that scarcity is true, that there's not enough. We have to hold the tension that is this entire prayer because if we only choose the first half or choose the second half, we're diving in dangerously close to sin. The problem with sin, sin is is tempting and it's because it's half right. Don't leave, there's a footnote to that. The reason sin is tempting is because it's half right, because it is a perversion of the first commandment that we were given. Be fruitful and multiply. Sin is great at multiplying. (laughs) It's a master of multiplication. It's just never fruitful. Do you see that? Sin is half right. It gets half of the equation. If we only pray half of that that half of that Gethsemane prayer, we make an error. Lack of imagination is if we say, thy will be done, God, and if that's our only prayer. Sounds right. And again, the problem with sin is that it's half right, which is why it's so tempting. If that's our only prayer, may God's will be done, and we don't have the imagination to see the way in which God's will is done, then we might be looking for a miracle that isn't there. Meaning, when we think about God's intervention in our world, we almost always assume that that is a breaking of natural law. But it's it's like the, the... the same with that, that old joke, right? So the waters were rising and the man is in his house and he prays to God, God, I know you'll save me. And a man in a truck drives up and says, hey man, you got to get out of here. There's flood waters, flood waters coming. And the man says, nope, I've prayed to God. God's will be done. God will save me. And then the waters rise. So then a boat comes by his house and says, get in the boat. We got to get out of here. The waters are rising. Nope, I prayed to God. God will save me. God's will be done. The waters get even higher, so the man takes an axe, goes to his attic, chops a hole in the roof, gets on top of the roof, and then a helicopter comes by, and the guy in the helicopter says, come on, get out, it's time to go, let's go. Nope, I prayed to God, God's will be done, God will save me. Well then, glug, 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 and the guy gets up to heaven. And the guy has now beef with God. Lord, I have been faithful, why did you not save me? And the guy says, I came in a truck, you know, and I came in a boat, and I came in a helicopter. God's will be done. If that's the only part of the Gethsemane prayer, it is a lack of imagination of the way that God is working in the world. Because God also works through people, through you and me, the eyes that are staring back at us, this work of God. 
to break bread with one another means to enter into the holiness of each other and the holiness of that relationship. So just to pray the, the first part, uh, the, the second part of the Gethsemane prayer is a lack of imagination. God's will be done, but then ignoring the way in which God's will is happening. Trusting that scarcity is true is like only praying the first half of the Gethsemane prayer. Lord, take this cup from me. And if that's where, and it, again, these aren't bad prayers. We just need to hold the tension of both of them together. If we're only praying the first half, Lord, take this cup from me, we begin to assume that the entire universe revolves around us and the people that we like and the kind of worship music that we like or the worship style that we like. Or we, Lord, take this cup from me. I don't care about my neighbor, but take it away from me. That is assuming that scarcity is true because when we assume that scarcity is true, only I matter. My stuff, me. So we hold in tension this Gethsemane prayer. Father, may this cup pass. What a beautiful illustration of humanity. It's Jesus saying, I don't want to die. <laughs> Father, if it be possible, may this cup pass from me. But not what I will, what you will. When we hold those two things together, our imaginations are unlocked. We begin to trust in God's abundance. And when we hold those two things together, what happens is we experience resurrection three days later. There are six elements that happen in order to understand abundance. There's invitation, there's gathering, there's proclamation, there is response, there is sharing, and then there is going forth. And today, it will be enough to hear the invitation. Before COVID, when we would gather around the table, I would say, Christ invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin, lack of imagination, or trusting in that scarcity is true. Christ invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin, and who seek to live in peace with one another. And then therefore let us show signs of peace and reconciliation among one another. We will be reinstituting that today, that invitation to the table, though I do ask you to, to recognize people's bubbles and their space. Not everyone is ready to shake hands and hug and give a holy kiss on the cheek, right? So you can also just shoot up a peace sign or whatever, or like namaste, you know, something. So I ask you to recognize that, that space and that boundary. But we will be instituting that invitation because when we gather on the table, we are invited into God's abundance. We are invited into a world where there is more than enough wine, where there is more than enough water, where there is more than enough bread, there is more than enough grace and love to go around. Sam Wells says in his book that the idea of Christianity is understanding that we can love everyone in the same way that we hope to love just one. And that's what Christ has done for us. He also says, between resurrection and full revelation, between Pentecost and parousia, which is a fancy word for saying the return of Jesus, the Holy Spirit brings the story of Scripture to life 
and makes the promise of the kingdom present. Christianity is this practice of abundance. A place where 99% of a garden is enough. And we give space for God to be God and also recognize God in one another, where there is more than enough love to go around. May you be invited to the table of grace today. It was the same yesterday. It will be the same forever. The invitation will always be there. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray.